Thursday, the 26th of October. Let's begin together in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son, <clears throat> pardon me, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, you have filled the universe with wonders. Fill us with awe and delight. You've called into being life of every kind. Fill us with the desire to cherish life in all its forms. You have made us in your own image to be your praise. Fill us with thanksgiving. O God, Creator and Redeemer, you are the author of being and life. Inspire in us a spirit of praise and a desire for obedience. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, Maker and Ruler of the universe. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. It is a better way to start a Thursday morning, the Sunrise Morning Show, here on Sacred Heart Radio. It's blasted out from our little old station to all kinds of affiliates around the network. Wherever you happen to be listening across the EWTN family, good morning to you. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis has got the video running. You can access the video stream of the show in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father Robert Nixon will be along. Uh, he's continuing through that work that he translated from St. Albert the Great. Today they're talking about the virtue of patience. Uh, Father Robert and Annie will be. We'll discuss the Mass as Dialogue with Father Philip Michael Tangora. Joe Heschmeyer will discuss how to respond to uh, Latter-day Saints who may challenge you on certain aspects of your Catholic faith. And then some of you have had struggles with mental difficulties, as it were, at various points in your life. Some of them, it's been kind of a lifelong thing, right? Some of the people who are listening right now have been maybe going through something chronic and ongoing. Kevin Prendergast has some thoughts with how to deal with ongoing, long-term mental and emotional health issues. So stay with us. <clears throat> stay with us if you can. Pardon me. Two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Hundreds of police are combing the state of Maine in search of a man accused of killing around 20 people in the town of Lewiston. Police believe 40-year-old Robert Card went on a shooting spree last night at a bar and a bowling alley. A surveillance photo at the bowling alley appears to show him carrying a semi-automatic rifle. Police say a white SUV they believe he was driving has been found seven miles away near the town of Lisbon. Maine's public safety commissioner says they have hundreds of police officers working around the state to locate the suspect. In Washington, there's finally a new Speaker of the House after the chamber was without a leader for more than three weeks. Louisiana Republican Mike Johnson received enough votes to win the speakership yesterday following failed attempts from three of his fellow Republicans. Johnson was first elected in Congress in 2016 and sits on the House Judiciary Committee. He's replacing California Republican Kevin McCarthy, who was recently voted out of his position by a handful of conservatives and almost all Democrats. This comes as Congress is facing a long list of pressing issues, including passing legislation to fund the government before mid-November 
and providing aid to Ukraine and to Israel. During his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis made another appeal for peace in the Holy Land and around the world. From Vatican Radio, Linda Bordoni reports. Saying that his thoughts are constantly on the grave situation in Palestine and Israel, Pope Francis added that he continues to pray for those who suffer and to hope for paths of peace in the Middle East, in the tormented Ukraine and in other regions wounded by war. The Pope also recalled that tomorrow we are all invited to join him in a day for prayer, fasting and penance for peace. At 6 p.m. in St. Peter's, he said, we will gather to pray to implore peace in the world. World leaders, meanwhile, have voiced their intent to pursue efforts to prevent the conflict from spreading. Nearly three weeks after Hamas militants attacked southern Israeli communities and killed over 1,400 people, most of them civilians. In retaliatory attacks by Israel targeting Hamas infrastructure in the Gaza Strip, over 5,700 Palestinian civilians have been killed, including some 2,300 children and minors. Gaza citizens, meanwhile, are constantly under attack and deprived of all basic necessities. The United States, Canada, Russia and several Arab states are pushing for a pause or for a ceasefire in fighting so that humanitarian aid can be delivered to the besieged Palestinian civilians. But after the entrance on Tuesday of eight trucks with water, food and medicine into the enclave through Egypt, Israel has threatened to stop new fuel supplies reaching Gaza. It accuses Hamas of stockpiling hundreds of thousands of litres. I'm Linda Bordoni. In his general audience catechesis, the Pope continued his series on those who model apostolic zeal, upholding this time Saints Cyril and Methodius, known as the Apostles to the Slavs, who he said worked so hard that the people could understand the faith in their own language. Back to Israel. A new report says Israel has agreed to delay its expected Gaza offensive to allow a U.S. missile defense system to become operational. The Wall Street Journal says the U.S. wants to position missile defenses to protect American troops against Iran-backed attacks. Two dozen American military personnel were injured last week in a series of drone attacks at U.S. bases in Iraq and Syria. The attacks came amid rising tensions in the region over the conflict in Israel. Ukrainian pilots are starting F-16 training in the U.S. this week. Ryan Shook reports. An Air Force spokesperson says a small number of pilots are training with the 162nd Wing of the Arizona Air National Guard, which specializes in training international allies on the fighter jet. The pilots also finished a language training in San Antonio, Texas. The U.S. plans to train about 200 Ukrainian personnel on the jet after language training. I'm Brian Shook. And the Houston Astros are officially on the search for a new manager. Dusty Baker announced he is retiring. The 74-year-old has managed for 26 major league seasons and led Houston to a World Series title in 2022. Baker has spent the last four seasons as the manager of the Astros after stints leading the Washington Nationals, the Cincinnati Reds, the Chicago Cubs, and the San Francisco Giants. The prolific toothpick chewer is the 12th manager in MLB history to reach 2,000 wins 
and his 57 postseason wins rank fourth all time. So when you said uh, he has managed for 26 and then you said years, I thought you were going to say 26 major league teams. I know. It seems like it. He's been yeah. around. Not to mention his playing career. Yeah. He was a Brave, a Dodger, a Giant, and an A. And I want to say it was as a Dodger that he somewhat invented or is credited with co-inventing the high five. Really? I didn't know that. You didn't know that? You've seen Dusty, like, in person, like. Oh, yeah, I got to meet Dusty once. You met Dusty once. I just happened to be at a restaurant, restaurant. yeah. Back when he was coaching the Reds. Yep. So there you have it. Yeah. It was pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Dusty, have a great retirement. Yep, well-deserved. Well-deserved. It was hard cheering for you with the Astros, and now I feel free to, like, you know. We can appreciate the good times. We can appreciate all the good things. Dusty's been, he's seen some good times and bad. Indeed. In all that, all those years of playing and managing. Indeed. Dusty, have a great retirement. Have a great retirement, Dusty. Joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Robert Nixon. He's a Benedictine monk at New Norcia in Australia and translator of the Tan Resurrection series. We are currently going through... The Paradise of the Soul, 42 Virtues to Reach Heaven by St. Albert the Great. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Eddie. It's great to be with you. So today we are going to be unpacking St. Albert's reflections on the virtue of patience, which I have to say is probably the virtue. Well, I don't know. We're going to be going through 42 of these virtues when it's all said and done. (laughs) So maybe I'll find one that I need more. But This is the one that, that at least for now, I know I need the most. Uh, How does he define patience? Okay. So, you know, patience, uh, actually, this was a little bit difficult to translate from the Latin because Mm. the word in Latin is patientia, which literally we translate as patience. But its original meaning was being able, being prepared to put up with things. When we use the word patience today... I think we primarily mean it just as a willingness to wait, Mm -hmm. whereas um, its original meaning wasn't simply just a willingness to wait patiently, but a willingness to endure. And it's related to the word passion, which, of course, means suffering. So patientia, uh, passio, they're related. So this willingness to put up with things is the essence of what Albert is talking about here in patience. And, of course, in, in our human life, it's inevitable that we're going to be putting up with one thing or the other. So it behooves us very much to cultivate this virtue. Yes, and so he writes, it is, of course, more difficult to tolerate hardships and injuries when one does not deserve them and is innocent of all fault. Nevertheless, having a clear conscience can sometimes impart a certain sweetness and serenity in enduring adversities and ill treatment. But then he goes on to up the ante, as um, we can come to expect from from St. Albert, because it's one thing to suffer unjustly at the hands of an enemy. It's a whole other thing to endure sufferings at the hands of friends. Indeed. And he quite rightly points that out, that if something happens to us um from an enemy or from someone who we don't know, you know, we can kind of put up with that. But if it's someone who, who's a friend of ours, someone who we love or a family member, and they might do something that, that hurts us in some way. 
sometimes it's inadvertently. But nevertheless, um, you know, the pain, I think, becomes becomes that little bit sharper because it comes from someone who we love and esteem. But he's urging us to put up with this. And in particular, as he points out, when we we don't actually deserve what we're getting, there's there's a kind of sweetness in having a clear conscience. And I think we should we should cultivate that awareness to think, well, you know, if it's something I don't deserve, I have a good, a clear conscience. And really a clear conscience is one of the keys to having a peaceful heart. Can you talk about his three considerations to cultivate patience? So these are very wise considerations, I think. Now, the first consideration is to recognize that because of our many sins and failings, we rightly deserve the most bitter of punishments and that whatever sufferings we sustain during our mortal life serve to alleviate what is our due. Now, um, this might, he might seem to be putting it in a slightly melodramatic way, but if we think about, you know, all of our failings and various shortcomings and wrongdoings in life, and so many of them, you know, we feel that we've more or less got away with, but in a way, um, whatever adversity we encounter, it's all commensurate with that. And as he says, it takes away from the suffering which is due. So we can view it as a kind of penance, um, even if there's not a direct link between our wrongdoing and what we're putting up with. Now, the second point is to bear in mind the intensity of the sufferings of Christ. He says, to bear in mind how long-lasting and dire were the sufferings borne by Christ, who was completely innocent, and that in comparison, whatever we are called to endure is but light and passing. And I think this is such a wonderful thing to reflect on what Christ endured, not only on the, on the cross, but also throughout his life with the various insults and uh, mm -hmm. ostracism and so forth, which he underwent, the various pains, um, that what we have to put up with in life, although it might be bad at times, you know, it can't compare to what Jesus has undergone for our sake. And the third and very important consideration is to recognize that whatever we suffer through no fault of our own, he shall certainly make generous recompense for. This recompense for suffering shall be the delights, happiness, and joys which wait us in the next world. Thus it is that the Apostle Paul confidently declares, whatever we may suffer in the present life is light and momentary, compared to the sublimity of eternal glory prepared for us. And this is so important, to keep our hearts and our minds fixed on the prize of God's infinite love and peace, which is promised to us. And whatever we suffer in this world, and sometimes it can be very great, but it's passing. It's always something which is in our capacity to bear. God never tests us more than we can, than we're capable of carrying. So, any, I think if we yeah. keep those considerations in mind, we can almost endure anything. Yeah, as long as we are thinking about them in the moment, which is always the uh, the rub there, yeah. right? You know, like to to know that, it intellectually, but to be able to recall it in those moments of suffering. I was thinking about that part where you were saying we could treat it like a penance. And I was thinking, wow, that's a really good idea because oftentimes I just want to do penance on my own yeah. terms. I impose my own penances on myself. And uh, to think of these sufferings to bear wrongs patiently like that, 
uh, to to look at it as a penance, I think, yeah. is um, very challenging, Father. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it is, you know. But any, I think we all cause other people so many hurts in different ways in oh, man, this yeah. life, in ways we're probably not even aware of. And so by being ready to um, to endure whatever comes our way, I think, it, you know, it, it makes up that God is in control and he knows what we need at any time. And um, certainly the prize which he promises us for this patience far exceeds anything which we have to endure. And he writes, a proof of true and humble patience is not to take revenge on those who cause our sufferings, even when the opportunity presents itself. This should go even so far as preventing others from acting on our behalf, following the example of David. Wow, some really challenging words here from St. Albert the Great on patience. But good food for thought, good uh, practical considerations in here as well. You can read about them in The Paradise of the Soul, translated by Father Robert Nixon. Father, really appreciate your thoughts this morning, too. Thank you so much. Thank you, Annie. God bless you, and God bless your listeners. You as well, Father. Thank you. All right, it's 17 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. For over 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring Ignatian prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. That's lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. We know a lot of you love anything pumpkin-flavored, and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee. That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available, along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. This is Conversations with Consequences, where we delve deeper into issues affecting our church, our country, and our core, the family. As Catholics, we need to be informed, aware, and able to talk through some of the tough topics that we're facing in our culture and in our world. Conversations with Consequences gives us the tools to do so. It's not enough to pray. We have to be a light for the world. Conversations with Consequences, this Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. 19 past. Here's Anna with headlines. Hundreds of police are combing the state of Maine in search for a man accused of killing around 20 people in the town of Lewiston. Louisiana Republican Mike Johnson has been elected the new Speaker of the House. And during his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis made another appeal for peace in the Holy Land and around the world. 
News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And those of you watching the video feed will notice that I'm not in a weird dark hotel room. I know, you're home. a very long time. Welcome home, Matt. No, it's it's good to be back. You know, I don't leave my my natural habitat very long, very often. Mm-hmm. A Studebaker. <laughs> but it, it is it is good to be back. Um, you know, it's weird. You, you travel around, you... You're like, oh, it's simple. You can just, like, do a broadcast from somewhere else. And you can with radio, but when people can see you, it's very different. Very different. You start to realize, man, you can't light a hotel room for anything. <laughs> but I met some really cool people, and we recorded some, I'm telling you, excellent Epic. Journey Home episodes. Nice. I'm really excited to share some of them. How long do we have to wait? Until, uh, like, Lent. But still, we're thinking wait ahead. Until Lent? Until Lent. Oh, man. Your penance is that I'm not going to tell you any more than that until then. It's fine. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. We all know there was an apostle named Philip, but the Philip I want to speak of here is one of the seven deacons chosen to assist the apostles in the distribution of food to the needy in Jerusalem. He must have been a good preacher. We know of two of his converts, Simon, who was known for his wonders and then embraced the faith, and a man who was a servant of Queen Candace of Ethiopia, whom Philip later baptized after telling him about the Lord Jesus Christ. Philip, the deacon, hosted Paul in his home in Caesarea. By that time, Philip was known as the evangelist. His four daughters had the gift of prophecy. We all know that the name Philip means one who loves horses, but it's quite clear that this Philip loved the Lord, and he influenced others to do the same. So could we. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Shear. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swain, joined now by Father Philip Michael Tangori. He's a pastor, a canon lawyer, author of Holiness and Living the Sacramental Life. Father, good morning. Good morning, everybody. All right, so I wanted to talk to you about the Mass as dialogue because uh, this is a, a point where there can be a little bit of confusion. I've been to Masses where there was a quote-unquote dialogue homily where it wasn't really like a homily. It was more like a book club. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's not okay. Uh, but at the same time, the Mass is meant to be some form of communication between us and God. So how is the best way to understand that? Well, if I could back you up one step beforehand, uh, during the Second Vatican Council, uh, when in their 
dogmatic constitution on the nature and the purpose of the church, Lumen Gentium, Articles 18 to 27 really kind of go through this notion of the role of the Pope and the bishop and the collegiality that is meant to be expressed in the governance of the Church. This was even given further expression in the uh, doctrinal note addended to Lumen Gentium. Uh, And with this, we see that there is this notion within the Church between the College of Bishops, who has the Pope as its head, but is also a member of and therefore he doesn't ever act separate from the College of Bishops, in the overall governing structure of the Church. And then we have the reality of uh, the laity following their shepherds. And it's in the Mass, in Article 28 of Lumen Gentium, that we see that this perfect synaxis, or synodality, actually is achieved where the shepherd with the flock are all coming together, one, centered on Jesus Christ, specifically in the Eucharist. And this is for those who are in the ministerial priesthood, the height of the expression of their uh, being the shepherds of the Church. So the Mass is the paradigmatic reality of synodality in this sense that there is this interplay between shepherd and flock, and the true shepherd, the great, uh, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, all being led together as one. So now there is obviously this hearing, listening, participating uh, reality in the Mass. You know, I think about this a lot uh, because, you know, the whole world is insane, but in all the tabernacles of the world, Jesus Christ keeps vigilance, right? And some keep vigilance with him. And whenever Mass is about to begin, you know, as you are filtering in, you can see people coming from this side of town and that side of town and this neighborhood over here and that neighborhood over there. And this person walked from around the corner and all the people sort of converge walking from different places, but in a sense, always walking together right towards the same destination, which is the, Eucharist, <laughs> you know, yeah, right. The, yeah. Which is the connection ultimately between heaven and earth which is the final goal, which Christ has come down here to bring us towards. So, I mean, I think about this all the time because this you see an image of what this should look like as you watch everybody from your neighborhood filtering into Mass. Exactly. And so obviously, there, it, it, to say that it's dialogical, yes, there are components. Uh, even in the Eastern churches, uh, their rites of Mass in the, in the extraordinary form of the Mass, you have the dialogue, you know, there's the call and responses and stuff like that. So there's there's always been this notion of the fact that you have shepherd and flock, and we are all journeying together as a pilgrim church. So there has to be this understanding. Synodality is a constitutive reality to the nature of the church. I mean, that's always been... And it's actually beautifully expressed. If any of you ever really want to look into the uh, ecclesiology of the Church, I highly recommend that you get Herbert Vorgrimler's commentary on the documents of Vatican II, especially the first edition, 
which deals with Lumen Gentium, the dogmatic constitution of the Church, because Vorgrimler and those who offer the commentary express beautifully this notion that, you know, the Church has to have, it's not about like an autocrat who happens to be the Pope. It's not about the pastor of the parish being an autocrat. There has to be this listening, there has to be this exchange. And so even with Cardinal Schomburg's seeing uh, word salad that came out recently, we still understand that, yes, there is this reality where the Eucharist is the epitome of that synaxis, of that synodality. But we realize that there is also the proper role of the shepherd, those who are constituted priests by ordination, and those who are uh, the flock uh, being shepherded, the laity. And I think that that was very interesting that Schomburn chose to use the Eucharist as the paradigm, because that does make a very clear distinction in ontological ministry. It, it does, and there are a number of things that I, you know, if we weren't out of time that I'd love to get into with this. Part of this is also there's confusion because when uh, in 2023 in common American parlance we say the word dialogue, uh, one might be led to the impression that, okay, Jesus, you've got some opinions, I've got some opinions, why don't we share them together and meet in the middle somewhere? <laughs> you know, that's not what we mean by dialogue. We mean much more like the Exodus no. and Reditus. Right, that you're talking about in your book. Thank um, you, Matt. Uh, you, know, so, you are my best friend. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, that's all I can think of is that's the real dialogue, right? Is we bring our sacrifices to the altar, Christ transforms them, gives them back to us, and we go out. Like, that's the dialogue. But Father exactly. Philip Michael Tangora, have a wonderful day. Thank you for everything you do. We've got your link to sunrisemorningshow.com, and we will talk to you soon. God bless everybody. Have a wonderful week. It is half past the hour. Here's Anna with news. Good morning. President Biden has been briefed on yesterday's mass shootings in Maine that left around 20 people dead and more than 50 others injured. This all taking place in the town of Lewiston, which is about 150 miles north of Boston. Rory O'Neill reports a massive manhunt continues in the state. The shootings happened at two locations, a bowling alley and a restaurant in the town about 150 miles north of Boston. Police quickly identified a person of interest as 40-year-old Robert Card. If people see him, they should not approach Card or make contact with him in any way. Card is a certified firearms instructor and a member of the Army Reserve who recently experienced some mental health issues. Police have not discussed a possible motive. I'm Rory O'Neill. There's a new Speaker of the House after the chamber was out without a leader for more than three weeks. Louisiana Republican Mike Johnson received enough votes to win the speakership yesterday afternoon following failed attempts from three of his fellow Republicans. Johnson was first elected to Congress in 2016 and sits on the House Judiciary Committee. He's replacing California Republican Kevin McCarthy, who was recently voted out of his position by a handful of ultra-conservatives and most Democrats. This comes as Congress is facing a long list of pressing issues, including passing legislation to fund the government before mid-November and providing aid to Ukraine and Israel. Pope Francis made another appeal for peace in the Holy Land and for the release of hostages being held by Hamas. He did so during his general audience when he also reminded the faithful that a day of prayer and penance for peace 
will be taking place on Friday. That evening, he will be leading a prayer vigil in St. Peter's Square. He said he continues to pray for those who suffer and to hope for paths of peace in the Middle East, in the tormented Ukraine, and in other regions wounded by war. In his catechesis, the Holy Father continued his series on apostolic zeal, focusing this week on Saints Cyril and Methodius. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Lubov reports. St. Cyril and Methodius' legacy can inspire a renewed commitment to peace, converting hearts, and fraternity. Pope Francis made this observation during his Wednesday general audience as he praised the two brothers and co-patrons of Europe who are venerated as the apostles of the Slavs due to their outstanding missionary work among the peoples of Moravia. He pointed out how the two brothers renounced their aristocratic lives to embrace the monastic life. Pope Francis recalled their great work after studying the local people's culture to proclaim and enculturate the word of God among the Slavic peoples, citing Cyril's work to develop the Cyrillic alphabet, which made it possible to preach God's word and to celebrate the divine liturgy in the language of the people. People therefore no longer felt that the Christian faith was foreign to them, the Pope said, but now was spoken in their native tongue. Cyril worked hard so that the people could understand the faith in their native language, the Pope underscored. However, encountering opposition, the Holy Father recalled the Byzantine Christian theologians and missionaries traveled to Rome, where they received support from the Pope. They did not have fear, these two. They were courageous, Pope Francis said. Non avevano paura, questi due. Erano coraggiosi. Cyril died in Rome, while Methodius, who was ordained bishop, returned to continue the work of evangelization in the Slavic lands, where he died a martyr's death. He had to suffer much, the Pope said. In 1980, St. Pope John Paul II proclaimed St. Cyril and Methodius co-patrons of Europe. San Giovanni Paolo II ha voluto compatroni dell'Europa. Pope Francis concluded by praying that the prayer of these two great saints inspire among the peoples of Europe today a renewed commitment to reconciliation, unity, and peace. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. A tentative contract agreement has been reached between the United Auto Workers and Ford. The four-year contract needs to be ratified by the 57,000 UAW employees of Ford, and Union President Sean Fain says they won things with the deal, quote, no one thought possible. Wages will go up 25 percent along with annual cost of living increases that put the pay raise to more than 30 percent. The deal means a top-scale assembly plant worker will make more than $40 an hour by the end of the contract. Negotiations are still underway with General Motors and Stellantis. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 past the hour. The Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's S-O-N-RiseMorningShow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me. 
Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. That's Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, how is the church holy? The church is holy because its founder, Jesus Christ, is holy, because it teaches a holy doctrine, because it invites all to a holy life, and because of the eminent holiness of so many thousands of its children. St. John Chrysostom once said that the greatest argument against the church is Christians who belong to the church. And that may be true. But likewise, I believe we can follow Benedict XVI, who pointed out that one of the greatest arguments in favor of the church is the saints. And so we can say that the church is indeed holy. Christ himself manifests his holiness and gives it to the members of his body. It invites us to a holy life. And we can see that those who truly live out the church's teachings become holy. Thanks be to God for giving us holiness in the church, giving us weak sinners hope that we will one day live and reign with Christ in the place of holiness, which is heaven. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Joe Heschmeyer from Catholic Answers, and he's got a piece up at Catholic.com that answers a question that you may have had about Mormonism and what the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints believes about God the Father. Joe, good morning. Good morning. All right, so I think that a lot of Catholics who are regular listeners to either this program or Catholic Answers or Catholic Radio in general would know that the LDS Church does not have the same kind of view of the Trinity that we do as Catholics, or that really that any other Christians have, uh, but might be unclear on the details of that. Uh, part of that's because they don't believe that Jesus is God, but part of it's also because they believe God the Father has like a physical body. So what kind of being do they conceive God the Father to be? That's a good question. So I'd actually... I want to nuance a little bit. They they think Jesus is a God, and they'll use God in the singular to refer to God the Father, who they call Holy Father, to Jesus, and to the Holy Ghost. But they don't think it's one God in the sense of a single divine being with three persons, the way Trinitarians do. They think it is three gods who are working in union, so much so they can be referred to as one God. This is Sometimes called social Trinitarianism, but it might be more accurate to call it tritheism. You know, it's a belief in three gods. But they don't even necessarily believe those are the only three gods, uh, just that those are the gods that we are uh, kind of in relation to. And of those three, we're only to offer worship uh, to one of them, Heavenly Father. But as you said, uh, there's the idea that the Heavenly Father is a, a personage of flesh, that he has a body. Uh, just as Jesus does. And this raises all kinds of questions about, okay, why does he have a body then? We understand why Jesus has a body. He takes one on in the incarnation. The, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1. And that's not because he's got a body from all eternity or anything like that. Now, there's an answer to that, why does the Father have a body? But the answer isn't at the same level of teaching within Mormonism. So I want to be clear about this, that what I'm about to say isn't official church doctrine in the way that the uh, idea that the Father has a body is. So the Father has a body, that's official church teaching. Why the Father has a body, Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, uh, said it's because he was a man on another world. And so he has his own God, 
and he died and resurrected and got a resurrected body. And, and so he now has a glorified body in heaven. And, and so Smith says, uh, as we are, he once was, as he is, we shall be. So we'll be gods like he is. He used to be a man like we are. But once you kind of accept that premise that God has a God, and then it's like, okay, well, does that God have a body? Like how far back does this go? You get into all sorts of really fascinating questions of, of kind of an infinite regress. Yes, St. Irenaeus uh, uses the example of, like, let's say that there was, like, a pumpkin, but the pumpkin was made by the gourd, and the gourd was made by the squash, going all the way back. Well, who made the who made the, the first thing? This is kind of a big question that, that Catholic theology actually does have. Uh, well, we understand it to be a mystery, but we have a kind of a formal teaching on. You know, when it comes to the people who knock on my door, Joe, I don't know if this is your experience as well. The Jehovah's Witnesses have blacklisted me. Um <laughs> the uh, the Baptists, uh, I sort of confuse them. The LDS missionaries love me. I give them, like, cliff bars and, like, seltzer waters, and we have great conversations. And so I'm going to ask you a question that I've never had the guts to ask them because I don't want to ruin the dialogue. But uh, let's say that you've got God the Father, Heavenly Father, as you call him, and he's got a body. He died and was resurrected, and that's the body he's in now. Who who killed him? Uh, who made he- that body in the first place? Uh, and if that's the case, why are we wasting time on all these people that were created by something that sounds like we ought to be worshiping instead? Yeah, so I actually <laughs> I did have the, I guess you can call it guts, to ask a, a very similar question to a, a Mormon lawyer that I know who's smart guy i mean sharp as attack but he he was explaining he was actually the person who first introduced me to this theology and i was like wait a second but i mean it's not like these gods died and you can just say oh there's an eternal uh, progression uh you know they're all still around so which one of them is the oldest like which one's been god the longest because i'd rather just worship which him. one is the that which nothing <laughs> yes. greater can which be imagined the first cause yeah, yes. and, and he said he didn't know. And it's not something that's defined by their church. It's just not a question that they've answered or a question that they're really encouraged to ask. And so it's really kind of fascinating. But no, I mean, no, if you get into that conversation with an LDS missionary, there's a a good chance it's either a question they've never thought of or a question they have maybe an idiosyncratic answer to. I wouldn't take any answer you get to that question to be you know, the same answer you're going to get to the next missionary who knocks on your door. Uh, so I think that's just kind of a good thing to keep in mind. We don't want to accuse them of holding a particular doctrine that isn't official church teaching and then any more than, I mean, we've been on the receiving end of that plenty of times. So we want to be really careful that like this, there are parts of this that are still really unclear uh, from the official kind of church perspective because they've just never really worked out the, the apparent logical difficulties with their position. So, the logical difficulty of the position is where I think that some people right now are like, well, why don't I just show them the logic of what Matt and Joe are talking about? And then we'll be fine. Then they'll understand. Yes. Unfortunately, uh, the Mormon faith, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, doesn't operate along the same kind of lines as we do as Catholics. There's not like a Mormon Thomas Aquinas who has sort yeah, of proved and, and some of this stuff. It's... Is kind of discouraged. So there's a, a really strong emphasis put on the subjective and on the personal and on the experiential. So being able to share your personal witness, being able to share how you've felt the Holy Spirit moving in your life, 
and then really trusting that inner voice is God, uh, that's really strong. And if you are talking to someone who's really convicted that they have spoken to the Holy Ghost inside and that he has told them the Book of Mormon is true scripture, you coming along and saying, here's 20 logical reasons that doesn't stand up to scrutiny is not going to probably move the needle a whole lot. And so this is one area where I'd encourage Catholics to do two things. Number one, be ready with your own witness that the Holy Spirit has actually been involved in your life and, and share honestly. You might have to be a little vulnerable. You might have to talk in a way that maybe you're not used to talking as a Catholic, but it's good for you to grow in this area. And number two, it's probably worth pointing out that there's a, a sort of subjectivity problem here. If you think the Holy Spirit is telling you to be Catholic and they think the Holy Spirit is telling them to be part of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, either the Holy Spirit is contradicting himself, which doesn't seem like the Holy Spirit, or uh, one of you is wrong. And so here I'd point to the prophet Jeremiah, who tells us the heart is deceptive above all things. So if we're making these huge decisions based on internal feelings, apart from logic, apart from reason, apart from having a solid basis for our beliefs— we're in really dangerous territory. Joe Heschmeyer, we've got Catholic.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com, including your article about what uh, the LDS Church teaches, uh, such as it is, about God the Father. Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right, Joe, and of course, all the gang at Catholic Answers can be found at Catholic.com, and you can tune in to Catholic Answers Live on most of these EWTN affiliates. Uh, you can catch us in the first part of the day and catch them at the last part of the day. Depending on where you are, it may not be as late for you West Coasters. Pastoral Counselor Kevin Prendergast joins us next. It's a quarter till. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare. 844-334-3245. It's the season of chunky soup and chunky sweaters, which means it's also pumpkin coffee season. And the Mystic Monks have their pumpkin spice blend in stock and ready for you to enjoy. And when you go to the Monks through sunrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on any flavor coffee or tea that you buy. Why shell out five bucks for a tall PSL when you can customize your own at home and drink it from a Sunrise Morning Show mug that you can find in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sunrisemorningshow.com. At this pivotal moment in the life of the church, bishops, religious, and laity from around the world have gathered in Rome for the Synod on Synodality. Get in-depth analysis of the day's events and what it means to you in our EWTN News special presentation from the Vatican. EWTN News presents the Synod on Synodality tonight at 11 p.m. Eastern, only on EWTN Radio. 
13 minutes before the hour, here's Anna with headlines. A massive manhunt continues in the state of Maine looking for a man who in a mass shooting killed around 20 people and left more than 50 others injured. Pope Francis made another appeal for peace in the Holy Land and the release of hostages being held by Hamas during his general audience yesterday. And there's a new Speaker of the House, finally. Louisiana Republican Mike Johnson was elected yesterday afternoon. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast, a licensed counselor and former seminary professor who's been lending his expertise to these airwaves for quite some time, and we're very grateful for that. Kevin, good morning. Hey, Matt, I'm grateful for all of you, too, so thanks for letting me be here. Well, speaking of you and you know helping people for a long time, I know that there are certain people who come to you and have come to you over the years who need help through a difficult season of life. But there are some people when it comes to certain mental and psychological and emotional difficulties, this can be like a lifelong struggle for them. So I wonder how we can maybe like think about those cases and those people uh, and those situations differently than we might think of someone who's going through a traumatic period in their life. Yeah, thanks, Matt. And this is the end of Mental Health Awareness Month. And in our segments this month, I've hit a couple of themes here. One is that we want to be careful not to call mental illness what's just about being a human being. So we lose people, we have adverse events, we have uh, upset, we have days when we have you know low mood, we're anxious, we're worried about things. Those are generally not mental illnesses in the way that, that we carefully define them. So probably 80% of people don't really have mental illness. But there's this 20%, and think about this, Matt. Everybody who's listening knows someone who has a chronic physical condition that could be diabetes, arthritis, heart disease, uh, chronic pain, back problems. And so when I speak with uh doctors uh, at our institution, you know, they don't, you know, I frequently ask, like, how many of your patients get cured of diabetes? And they usually just roll their eyes and say, you know, we don't really, that's not really the goal. Uh, That'd be great if it happens. It maybe happens sometimes, but really it's about managing a chronic condition. And, you know, I think that's a helpful analogy here. So with, uh, we all have these bad life events, but generally bad we bounce back from them, even traumatic events, uh, you know, which I deal with a lot, that people can have a very bad and disruptive, painful, violent episode, and they can get through it. You know, a couple months later, they're kind of back to normal. They're not going to forget about it. But then there are other conditions, a couple of them that jump out to me that I see a lot. You know, one would be um, the severe mental illnesses like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. And so people go through Uh, Just like with physical illnesses, they manage better for a time. The problem with all the medications that deal with those conditions is they have pretty bad side effects. Uh, One of the most common problems is that people stop treatment. Uh, They don't like the side effects of the medication, and so they discontinue, and then they get worse. Or they're better for a period of time, but then they have episodes where they may wind up back in the hospital. Or, you know, with with both of those or another one would be what we, you know, people call it clinical depression or major depression, which usually winds people usually wind up in the hospital for that. So they need medication They're They maybe have made a suicide attempt. 
but you know the majority of them can get better so probably 70 percent of them can reduce those thoughts of suicide and not try to harm themselves again and and function but 40 percent of them that you know some of the big studies still have difficulty with day-to-day living just trying to get through the day and then they're more prone if somebody's wound up in the hospital with a major depressive episode there's a much higher risk they're going to have another episode like that as severe and then in between times they might have this kind of low-grade depression so uh, and the final one, Matt, would be any of the substance abuse disorders, alcohol and drugs. Uh, so, you know, I deal with that quite a bit. And people go, people can be trying to get sober and clean for years and have relapses. And with all these, Matt, I think on the outside, if we don't know somebody very well and, you know, maybe we, we, we can be judgmental. And so we can think they're just not trying hard enough. If they just tried hard enough, you know, someone who's morbidly obese and weighs 400 pounds if they just tried to go on a diet they could get rid of that and that's just not the way it works and and this happens actually often uh in a lot of uh religious Mm -hmm. circles it certainly did in some of the evangelical circles i traveled in uh Mm -hmm. and and to lesser and 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 greater degrees especially when it comes to more of like the prosperity side of thing which is you know sort of the farthest Mm -hmm. extreme of it which is just you just had faith all this stuff would go away and then that person who has these struggles and temptations but has some sort of different neurological makeup, right? Or has some trauma Mm -hmm. or horrible thing in their life that colors the way that they think. Suddenly they go through their whole life thinking, well, maybe I'm not one of God's elect, (laughs) right? Or Mm -hmm. maybe I'm not, Mm -hmm. maybe I'm, you know, this is all a sign that God doesn't really love me or that I'm unlovable Mm -hmm. or I'm unfixable or I'm, you know, barely even human. I mean, there can be a lot of ways that, people who mean well in a religious context can actually drive somebody further down into this stuff. That's right. And so that's where our faith comes in and our faith community in the church. If we see people who have very heavy uh, crosses that they bear because of ongoing uh, chronic uh, mental health issues, uh, a lot of the people that I've seen, my clients who are in that category, use words like I'm defective, there's something really wrong with me. It's never going to get fixed. I'm permanently broken. And so faith, you know, can see this is a heavy cross. And one of my friends likes to say we borrow each other's courage. And I think that's one thing we can do for someone that's struggling with severe mental illness and their loved ones, their family, is to try to restore a sense of worth and dignity. As Bishop Sheen and his famous program used to say, life is worth living. So to say you still have a purpose, you're still worthwhile. And and I just understand how difficult this is for you. And I think in, in faith, you know, that we can encourage people who are mentally ill and have some very severe troubles to, to use the sacraments if they're Catholic. Uh, we have saints in our tradition, you know, a couple of them that, you know, I talk with a lot to people are St. Diphna, St. Benedict Labrea, and even in the gospel, uh, Mark 5, that great story of the Gerasene demoniac, uh, where he's restored to his family. And I think there's a challenge for the rest of us in the church community that how would we react if this guy who was uh, cutting himself and breaking change and acting like a maniac and threatening people if he came back to the community and he wanted to be part of the community again? Well, that's a tough question, you know, if we were really honest with ourselves. And I think we can encourage family members to do the same thing, to use all the tools of our faith, but also to find a group like the National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI, which has chapters all around the country, 
uh, to get some support and get some education because they're carrying a heavy cross too. If you have a 35-year-old son who's got schizophrenia and goes through episodes and maybe is on disability and can't work and maybe has a co-occurring uh, substance abuse problem, that's a very heavy burden. And what are the parents supposed to do? You know, they love their child. They still see the dignity there. They need support. They need our prayers. And we can pray for all the people that struggle with these heavy crosses. Well, I'm so glad you mentioned, uh, you know, that we have saints who have had these mm -hmm. struggles. You mentioned St. Benedict Joseph Lebray. You know, a lot of our listeners love Father, Father Benedict Grishel and might uh -huh. think that he's named after... Benedict of Nursia. No, Benedict nope. Rochelle took his name after Benedict Joseph Lebray, a saint That's who right. struggled with yep. mental illness. Uh, yeah. So, and it, I think very much colored and helps us see the kind of compassion that Father Benedict right. tried to show uh, in his own yeah. Yeah. situation. But thank you so much, Kevin. Right. Have a wonderful day. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate you. Take care. All right. You can find Kevin linked in our show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Subscribe over there and check out the video live stream. We're back. Right after this, it's three minutes till. Arise, it's a new day. Hear his word, let us pray. The sunrise morning show. We continue on this Thursday, the 26th of October, by praying St. Ignatius of Loyola's prayer for generosity, that we may be generous with our hearts and our resources as needed today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, teach me to be generous. Teach me to serve you as you deserve, to give and not to count the cost, to fight and not to heed the wounds, to toil and not to seek for rest, to labor and not to ask for reward. Save that of knowing that I do your will. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. It is a better way to start a Thursday morning. The Sunrise Morning Show. We are glad that you're along. Wherever you happen to be listening across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, perhaps you're listening on Sirius Satellite Radio. Perhaps you're listening on an app. However you're getting here, we're glad to talk to you. Father Boniface Hicks will be along, and he's going to have some thoughts on interiority in prayer. Rita Heikenfeld has some recipes for your All Saints and All Souls gatherings and parties. Those of you who love, like, live in the liturgical calendar, like, at home with your kids and making cool foods for feast days, Rita's got some, she's got some great tips for you today. Gary Machuda continues our series on his book, The Gospel Truth. Maybe you've heard that, like, when it came to the oral tradition, we don't know if we can, like, really trust what we've got because, you know... People passing stories down the line. That was kind of like an ancient game of telephone. So who knows what got, what got lost in translation? Well, Gary actually has some things that you may want to consider uh, next time someone makes that argument with you. Courtney Brown is going to talk about more theolo theology of the body curriculum for younger children. And today we're going to talk about you know how maybe to communicate some of this stuff uh, in its nascent form to first graders. So stay with us if you can. 
Right now, it's two minutes past. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. A manhunt is underway in Maine for a mass shooter who is considered armed and dangerous. Hundreds of police are searching for 40-year-old Robert Card, who is suspected of going on a deadly rampage last night in the town of Lewiston. The sheriff says the gunman killed at least seven people at a bowling alley in Lewiston before continuing his rampage at a bar a few miles away. A surveillance photo from the bowling alley appears to show him carrying a semi-automatic rifle. Anywhere from 15 to 22 people are believed to have been killed in the shooting spree. In Washington, the new Republican Speaker of the House is promising to find common ground with Democrats. Louisiana Republican Mike Johnson took the gavel after garnering enough votes to win the speakership following failed attempts from three of his fellow Republicans. Johnson acknowledged the process was a grueling battle. He said he's humbled and went on to promise that he will immediately address pressing issues. Those issues include passing legislation to fund the government before mid-November and providing aid to Ukraine and Israel. During his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis made another appeal for peace in the Holy Land and in Ukraine and around the world. From Vatican Radio, Linda Bordoni reports. Saying that his thoughts are constantly on the grave situation in Palestine and Israel, Pope Francis added that he continues to pray for those who suffer and to hope for paths of peace in the Middle East, in the tormented Ukraine and in other regions wounded by war. The Pope also recalled that tomorrow we are all invited to join him in a day for prayer, fasting and penance for peace. At 6 p.m. in St. Peter's, he said, we will gather to pray to implore peace in the world. World leaders, meanwhile, have voiced their intent to pursue efforts to prevent the conflict from spreading. Nearly three weeks after Hamas militants attacked southern Israeli communities and killed over 1,400 people, most of them civilians. In retaliatory attacks by Israel targeting Hamas infrastructure in the Gaza Strip, over 5,700 Palestinian civilians have been killed, including some 2,300 children and minors. Gaza citizens, meanwhile, are constantly under attack and deprived of all basic necessities. The United States, Canada, Russia and several Arab states are pushing for a pause or for a ceasefire in fighting so that humanitarian aid can be delivered to the besieged Palestinian civilians. But after the entrance on Tuesday of eight trucks with water, food and medicine into the enclave through Egypt, Israel has threatened to stop new fuel supplies reaching Gaza. It accuses Hamas of stockpiling hundreds of thousands of litres. I'm Linda Bordoni. In his catechesis, the Pope continued his series on those who model apostolic zeal, upholding this time Saints Cyril and Methodius, who he said worked so hard that people could understand the faith in their own language. He prayed, may the prayers of these two saints inspire among the peoples of Europe today a renewed commitment to the reconciliation unity and peace, which are the Holy Spirit's gifts for the conversion of hearts and the building of a culture of authentic justice and fraternity. A Nigerian monk is being remembered as very prayerful and easygoing young man. The Catholic News Agency reports 31-year-old Benedictine brother Godwin Aze 
was kidnapped and brutally murdered by Fulani bandits earlier this month. Two of his fellow novices kidnapped with him were set free a few days later. The novice director at their monastery says a search has begun for Brother Godwin's body, which was thrown into a river. Ukrainian pilots are starting F-16 training in the United States this week. Ryan Shook reports. An Air Force spokesperson says a small number of pilots are training with the 162nd Wing of the Arizona Air National Guard, which specializes in training international allies on the fighter jet. The pilots also finished a language training in San Antonio, Texas. The U.S. plans to train about 200 Ukrainian personnel on the jet after language training. I'm Brian Shook. A tentative contract agreement has been reached between the United Auto Workers and Ford. The four-year contract needs to be ratified still by the 57,000 UAW employees of Ford. Negotiations continue with General Motors and Stellantis. And it turns out teens want less sex and romance on their screens. A UCLA study finds Generation Z would rather see platonic relationships in entertainment. The majority of the survey participants say romance is overused in media. Researchers claim that Gen Z craves feel-good character relationships because of being isolated during the pandemic. This trend is being labeled, Matt, as nomance. 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 Well, it is a little fatigue that, like, you know, how many films... And television shows and, and whatever you can be like, oh, I know, I know where this is going. Mm-hmm. These people are going to be together by season two. Well, and think of how much pressure that puts on a team. It's an enormous amount of pressure. You think about but it also like, is you like you can't have a friendship without thinking friendship. that it has to be romantic. And that can be like you can't have a opposite sex friendship but you can't have a same sex friendship exactly. that way either like you can't right. have any friendships at all without people being like well i don't know mm. uh, you know what i think about those two i mean especially same sex friendships in these days i yeah. think people i people with, are like why can't i just like have a friend talk to you about like how my day was and be pals and we can go to waffle house and chill do teens go to waffle house they should it's good for them yeah pecans have lots of protein in that pecan waffle Oh, is that what you get? It's one of the things. I I've get. only been to Waffle House once in my life, Matt. Scattered, smothered, chunked, topped. Neat. Sounds good. It is good. I just had a waffle, ah. like a regular old waffle. This is pretty good. Yes, you do. With some chicken nuggets. It is nine minutes past the hour. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Boniface Hicks, and he is the author, along with Father. Thomas Acklin of Personal Prayer, A Guide to Receiving the Father's Love. It's a great book for anyone who's looking to figure out, you know, how do I pray as a Catholic? Father Boniface, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Great to be with you. So we're going to start your section on interiority, and there's a lot to be unpacked here. But first of all, what does the word interiority even mean? It seems like one of those kind of sort of prayer jargony words that— Well, I mean, I don't know. I think probably some of us have a sense of it, but would not know what word to use to call it that. Interiority, simply speaking, is what's going on inside of us. So the things that are not necessarily apparent to people outside of us, unless a person is particularly transparent, and then you can see from the outside what's going on on the inside. So it's the way that we are 
moved. It's the things that we feel. It's the way that we think and process reality, our interpretations and uh, understanding of things. So all, all of those things that go on, sometimes we talk about the heart in a particular way, but the, the, the inside of us, the way that we, uh, that we process reality. Well, and this is where it can be very confusing in the sort of Protestant-Catholic divide because, uh, you know, there's the trope out there that, you know, I used to be Catholic and then I developed a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and became born again, and now I attend Harvest Bethel Community of the Good Shepherd, right? Or something like that. Or that mm -hmm. Catholics don't believe that they're capable of having a personal relationship with Christ or don't, or that's not language that, that makes sense to them. Um, but interiority helps us kind of understand that, yes, we are supposed to have that, that personal relationship with Christ, right? Absolutely. And, and we experience interiority in personal relationships, and, and there's a way uh, it, uh, we talk about intimacy. Intimacy is really bringing someone else into our interiority. So when your interiority is in my interiority, then we have intimacy. And the idea that God can be in our interiority, that we can hear Him, feel Him, love Him, that His thoughts can be in our thoughts and his, uh, his will, his, his person, in a way, can be inside of us is, uh, is the, uh, the invitation of the gospel and the movement of the Holy Spirit, and it's uh, certainly very fundamental to our Catholic faith, and, and, and is really the movement of Holy Communion, right? I mean, the idea that, that one would be receiving Holy Communion and not have a personal relationship with God is, uh, seems, seems very contradictory to me. Holy Communion is the very process of bringing the inside of God inside of me in this uh, very intimate and, and concrete way. You know, I'm thinking about um, so many levels of this, and we're going to uh, hopefully unpack different sort of aspects of interior interiority more, more concretely um, over the next few weeks. But the idea of seeing sort of beyond or seeing kind of that next level or hearing the voice of God not just as— sort of proclaimed to all, but but as speaking to us, I mean, this is something that, that happens very often to me in the context of, for instance, the readings from Mass. So uh, recently we just had uh, for Psalm 130, uh, I mean, Psalm 130 was a, a daily Mass reading, right? And uh, there's it's the De Profundis, and the whole congregation, the whole church is going to be reading Psalm 130, and it's going to hear, you know, proclaimed, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Well, we're all going to be saying the same words, but I think that all of us are coming from different kinds of depths, right? We're all kind of offering mm. a different sort of like thing that we're worried about that we're not really sharing with everybody else. Uh, and that to me, like, that's at least one of the ways that I understand that interiority, that idea of offering my own sort of personal struggles to the Lord beyond what I'm just saying out loud. Yeah, that's a great description, Matt. We're all coming from different depths. We hear the same word. It's describing the depths of our of our hearts, and there are different concerns, different uh, aspects of uh, of reality. There are different uh, things that we are focusing on. There are different people and relationships. There are a lot of different things in the depths of of each one of us, and and it's one of the beautiful things about. Catholic worship as well, that we, we do all hear the same word, we go through the same ritual actions, and yet 
it's the interior experience, it's the interior connection, it's the, the intimacy that each of us has that's, that's also radically personal at the same time. So then for someone who's struggling with this and uh, is trying to figure out, well, how do I, how do I get beyond just sort of showing up and, uh, and, and being there to, to really trying to cultivate some interiority? I know we're going to get into some more levels of this as we move on, but, but what would be maybe a, a good first step to try and um, maybe be aware of the possibility of going a little bit deeper on these, uh, on these things? <clears throat> yeah, I think uh, just, just noticing interiority is, is already a, uh, a useful first step. Uh, some, some people live uh, far too much just in the outside, so just noticing what's going on inside of you. And to do that without judgment, I think that's also a thing that gets us a little bit hung up at times, is we, we think what's supposed to be going on inside of me. Uh, is it okay that this is going on inside of me? Well, just start by noticing that it is. And uh, maybe you're in church and you think it's, uh, it's too hot, it's too boring, it's too loud, it's too dull, it's too confusing, uh, and you feel like you're not supposed to be critical of, well, you are. <laughs> just notice it, first of all. So just paying attention to those things. And then if we think about how we relate to other people, uh, how, how does another person change something or, or move something inside of me? And then we can be aware of how that happens with God as well. And, and that can be something like asking Him a question or saying something to Him interiorly, and then noticing what happens in our hearts when we do that, what changes there, what comes up, what thoughts come to us. And just noticing those things, that, that noticing that interiority and then trying to speak it to God and, and listen to Him there, that'd be a good starting point. Well, that's great stuff, and we're going to get into transparency, the concept of prayer without ceasing. You know, we're going to get into exactly what you were just talking about a moment ago about, you know, what if we're, you know, feel blocked by our own sinfulness? Uh, what are we supposed to do with that? How do we remedy that? But the book is called Personal Prayer, A Guide for Receiving the Father's Love. It's co-written by Father Th uh, Thomas Acklin and Father Boniface Hicks. Thanks so much for being with us, Father Boniface. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, Matt. You too. All right, we're back right after this with headlines. It's 17 minutes past the hour. We need your help. Hello, I'm Marianne Koharski, Director of Pro-Life Across America. In my 30-plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. Our ads feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America, offering alternatives to abortion, free ultrasound, and pregnancy help. Babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists. It really does. And Pro-Life Across America needs your help. To donate, please find us at ProLifeAcrossAmerica.org. Did you know I could suck my thumb before I was born? Yep, we all started small. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. 
Are you prepared to vote? Catholics must form their consciences by church teaching. It's not a matter of personal decision about good or evil, but upon the objective moral order willed by God, binding on human beings, and known through reason and divine revelation. Be prepared to vote your faith this November. Visit EWTN.com vote for everything Catholic voters need to know before picking up a ballot. 19 minutes past the hour, here's Anna with headlines. A massive manhunt is underway in Maine for a mass shooter who is considered armed and dangerous after killing somewhere between 15 and 22 people yesterday. There's a new Speaker of the House, finally. Louisiana Republican Mike Johnson took the gavel after earning enough votes to win the speakership. And during his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis made another appeal for peace in the Holy Land and around the world. You know, Anna Mitchell, last hour we were talking with pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast. He was talking about Benedict Joseph Lebray, a Mm -hmm. great saint who had mental health difficulties but was a great model for Father Benedict Groeschel, who took his religious name, Benedict Joseph Groeschel, from Benedict Joseph Lebray. Right. And was involved in you know psychology and all kinds of things. And I was trying to look up some things on that and went down a rabbit hole. Oh, boy. So Father Benedict Groeschel, uh, along with eight, well, there were eight original Franciscan friars of the renewal. Right. One of them was Father Groeschel, Father Postoli. There was Father also Postoli. a Father Glenn Sudano. Oh, okay. Uh, who I believe is still with us. And um, his brother, Bruce, was married to Donna Summer. What? The queen of disco. Are you serious? And on Donna's album, Cats Without Claws, originally released in 1984, when it came out on compact disc, she wrote in the liner notes, to Father Benedict Groeschel and Father Glenn Sedano for the inspiration on the line, Cats Without Claws. What? Yeah, I, I didn't know. How come you nobody? Can't. I've been here for forever, and nobody told me Father Grishel's in the liner notes of a Donna Summer album. Come on, you that's amazing. These, this needs to happen in employee meetings. A lot of you love anything pumpkin flavored, and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee. That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The Universal Prayer by Pope Clement XI. Lord, I believe in you, but let me believe more strongly. I hope in you, but let me hope more confidently. I love you, but let me love you more ardently. I adore you as my first beginning. I long for you as my last end. I praise you as my constant benefactor. I call upon you as my loving protector. Guide me by your wisdom. Hold me by your justice. Comfort me with your mercy. Protect me with your power. I offer you, Lord, my thoughts, that they may be fixed on you. My words, that they may be about you. 
my actions, that they may be regulated by you, my sufferings, that they may be endured for you. Enlighten my mind, inflame my will, purify my heart, sanctify my soul. Grant that I may prepare for death, be concerned about judgment, flee from hell, and obtain paradise through Christ our Lord. Amen. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. It is time for Bible Foods with Rita Heikenfeld from AboutEating.com, who's always got great recipes involving things from the Bible, but is also really great at paying attention to the liturgical calendar and coming up with cool recipes for whatever season we happen to be in. Rita, good morning. Well, good morning, and I think you're going to like what we're sharing today. I think so, too. And, of course, everybody, the whole wide world is focused on Halloween, but this leads into All Saints Day, and uh, there are all kinds of things that are you know, celebrated and observed, but, I mean, really, we're pointing towards the Feast of All Saints here, right? Yeah, and, you know, you, you're right. There's a, it seems like there's a lot of legends um, about the origin of All Saints, but from what I can gather, way back in the 800s, the Pope chose November 1st for All Saints Day, and what that was, it was an attempt to override what was then the pagan festival of the dead um, that was held on the same day. All right, so the All Saints Day is, well, we all know that the word saint means hallowed, uh, right? Or hallowed mm-hmm. means saint. It, mean, it, all means, it all comes back to the word holy, right? And so anytime you hear the word mass at the end of something, like Christmas or whatever, or All Hallows Mass, I mean, we're obviously referring to the mass. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lot in there. Oh, you're right. Um, you're right. Hallows means saints and mass, M-A-S, means mass. And basically, um, when you think of All Saints Day, we celebrate the souls of the saints who have, have gone to heaven on this day. And then um, Halloween, or also sometimes called Hallow's Eve, happens on October 31st, and that is the day before All Saints Day. So All Saints Day is November 1st, Halloween is the day before. And it is weird that we celebrate that bigger. It'd be like making mm-hmm. a bigger deal out of Christmas Eve than Christmas. <laughs> but yeah, for sure. It is what it is. But we just want to make sure that nobody confuses All Saints Day with All Souls Day. Yeah, well, and, and the practice for praying uh, for the souls in purgatory, gosh, that spread way, way long ago, pretty quickly throughout the, the Christian world. And that Mass, Matt, it's um, November 2nd, All Souls Day. And that's the day... We pray for um, the dead who are in, in purgatory so that they get to heaven. So All Souls Day is November 2nd. Um, All Saints Day is November 1st. So, yeah, sometimes we get a little confused about those. Well, it's a great day to have a party. Certainly All Saints Day is. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've ever done the things where your kids have dressed up as saints for Catholic school or for an All Saints Day party, but I have a lot of fun getting really creative with this because you've got saints from every single country and every single century and every single profession that you could possibly go to. So as you're throwing these parties, you've got some good recipe ideas, especially crockpot ones. And I'm telling you, if you stick a, a cup full of toothpicks outside a crockpot full of meatballs, <laughs> I am all in. Oh, I bet you are. And, and you know what? Just thinking of all the costumes for your kids, that would be a show in itself. Um, and you're right. Uh, m- meatballs are always fun. And, and Annie said something. Oh, she makes a porcupine uh, meatball. So i got to get that recipe, too. So today I'm sharing two different ones. The one is classic, the one I grew up with. It's uh, the frozen meatballs are homemade, and then you make a sauce, um, grape jelly, Concord grape jelly, soy sauce, chili sauce, and some hot uh, 
red uh, pepper flakes. And basically, you spray the slow cooker, you add the meatballs, you whisk together the sauce ingredients, and you just cover and cook it three hours on high or six on low. And then uh, we usually like to take an apple or an orange and poke it all over with toothpicks because you're right, people uh, spy the toothpicks and they know that there's something really good. And then the new, this one. Um, well, no, no, let me pause you right there. This is a crazy idea that I've never heard before. I just get like a shot glass and fill it up with toothpicks. You're saying you just like poke the toothpicks in like an apple? Well, for heaven's sakes, I thought you knew that. Yeah, an apple I never orange. knew this trick. This is fantastic. <laughs> well, good, an apple and orange. And then the orange is, you know, round, so we cut off the bottom. But it's pretty, and it's, you know, just something festive, and it holds a lot of um, toothpicks without them. When you pull one out, the other ones all, you know, fall out also. So, yeah, that's, I'm glad that I, I shared a tip that well, you didn't know Well, now this is like an easy job for a kid. Hey, here's a handful of toothpicks. I want you to poke them in that orange. Like, that'll keep, like, a five-year-old busy for hours. Yes, it does. It used to keep my kids busy when we catered, for sure. All right, so the other meatball recipe goes how? Oh, it's um, the newfangled one. It's from uh, the Pioneer. Basically, again, she has a homemade meatball uh, recipe, but her sauce is different. It's chili sauce, apricot preserves, and some soy sauce and sriracha to taste. So basically, you make the meatballs or buy them and uh, put them, again, I just put them in the slow cooker and pour the sauce over and just let them cook um, anywhere from three to six hours, same thing. And they're, both recipes are really delicious. And they stay warm. You can do them ahead and uh, microwave or keep them in the crock pot. Really good for um, an All Saints Day party, like you said, and we could all dress up. I don't know what I, who I would dress up as. but St. Rita. Yes. Oh, there yeah. There you go. St. <laughs> Rita. Well, there. Duh. There. That would be a good one for sure. Or Elizabeth of Hungary walking around with the bread loaves, right? Or all yeah. having... <laughs> Yes, for sure. It'd be great. Sure. You could do a. I, I could see you doing. You know, getting getting the sorry together and doing the Mother Teresa. I could see all kinds of things. Yeah, from I'm Rita. about could... the same height. Yeah, yeah. Mother uh, well, Teresa and I probably have more in common than we think. And I don't mean um, the saintly part. I'm just thinking the physical looking part for sure. You and Rita, uh, so <laughs> you and Mother Teresa and Annie are all almost the exact same height. So we could. Uh, <laughs> Yes, there you go. We could be a trio. Well, I'm uh, very thrilled to try out some of these recipes. That first one I've eaten at a thousand church potlucks, the the classic one with the grape jelly and the yes. chili sauce. But this apricot yes. one seems with apricot sriracha meatballs. I mean, come on. I mean, what's not to like there? But if you've got great recipes that you want to share with Rita Heikenfeld as well, you can go to abouteating.com. Share those. Rita, thank you so much as always. Have a wonderful day. I will, Matt. And let me know how you um, change that meatball recipe. I know you're going to add something to it, so let me know later. Always got to tweak it. By the way, it's really easy for me to go through the list of bald saints through the years. I can be like any bald saint in 2,000 years of church history. Very easy to do. SunriseMorningShow.com. Enter your email address. Subscribe. Get these show notes delivered to your inbox every single day. Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. Good morning. A manhunt is underway in Maine for a mass shooter who's considered armed and dangerous. Anywhere from 15 to 22 people are believed to have been killed and more than 50 injured in this shooting spree. Rory O'Neill reports hundreds of police are searching the state for the suspect. The shootings happened at two locations, a bowling alley and a restaurant in the town about 150 miles north of Boston. 
Police quickly identified a person of interest as 40-year-old Robert Card. If people see him, they should not approach Card or make contact with him in any way. Card is a certified firearms instructor and a member of the Army Reserve who recently experienced some mental health issues. Police have not discussed a possible motive. I'm Rory O'Neill. The new Republican Speaker of the House is promising to find common ground with Democrats. Louisiana Republican Mike Johnson took the gavel after getting enough votes to win the speakership following failed attempts from three of his fellow Republicans. Johnson acknowledged the process was a grueling battle. He said he's humbled and he went on to promise that he will immediately address pressing issues. Those issues include passing legislation to fund the government before mid-November as well as providing aid to Ukraine and to Israel. During his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis made another appeal for peace in the Holy Land and around the world and appealed again to Hamas to release their hostages. And he said, I remind everyone that Friday, the 27th of October, we will live a day of fasting, prayer, and penance. He said at 6 p.m. in St. Peter's, we will gather to pray to implore peace in the world. In his catechesis, the Holy Father continued his series on those who embody apostolic zeal, focusing this week on St. Cyril and Methodius. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Luboff reports. St. Cyril and Methodius' legacy can inspire a renewed commitment to peace, converting hearts, and fraternity. Pope Francis made this observation during his Wednesday general audience as he praised the two brothers and co-patrons of Europe who are venerated as the apostles of the Slavs due to their outstanding missionary work among the peoples of Moravia. He pointed out how the two brothers renounced their aristocratic lives to embrace the monastic life. Pope Francis recalled their great work after studying the local people's culture to proclaim and enculturate the word of God among the Slavic peoples, citing Cyril's work to develop the Cyrillic alphabet, which made it possible to preach God's word and to celebrate the divine liturgy in the language of the people. People therefore no longer felt that the Christian faith was foreign to them, the Pope said, but now was spoken in their native tongue. Cyril worked hard so that the people could understand the faith in their native language, the Pope underscored. However, encountering opposition, the Holy Father recalled the Byzantine Christian theologians and missionaries traveled to Rome, where they received support from the Pope. They did not have fear, these two. They were courageous, Pope Francis said. Non avevano paura, questi due. Erano coraggiosi. Cyril died in Rome, while Methodius, who was ordained bishop, returned to continue the work of evangelization in the Slavic lands, where he died a martyr's death. He had to suffer much, the Pope said. In 1980, St. Pope John Paul II proclaimed St. Cyril and Methodius co-patrons of Europe. San Giovanni Paolo II ha voluto compatroni dell'Europa. Pope Francis concluded by praying that the prayer of these two great saints inspire among the peoples of Europe today a renewed commitment to reconciliation, unity, and peace. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. A Nigerian monk is being remembered as a very prayerful and easygoing young man. The Catholic News Agency reports 31-year-old Benedict and brother Godwin Eze was kidnapped and brutally murdered by Fulani bandits earlier this month. Two of his fellow novices kidnapped with him were set free a few days later. The novice director at their monastery says a search has begun for brother Godwin's body, which was thrown into a river. A tentative contract agreement has been reached between the United Auto Workers and Ford. The four-year contract still needs to be ratified by the 57,000 UAW employees of Ford 
And union president Sean Fain says they won things with the deal that no one thought possible. Wages will go up 25 percent along with annual cost of living increases that put the pay raise to more than 30 percent. The deal means a top scale assembly plant worker will make more than $40 an hour by the end of the contract. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 past the It's the season of chunky soup and chunky sweaters, which means it's also pumpkin coffee season. And the Mystic Monks have their pumpkin spice blend in stock and ready for you to enjoy. And when you go to the Monks through sunrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on any flavor coffee or tea that you buy. Why shell out five bucks for a tall PSL when you can customize your own at home and drink it from a Sunrise Morning Show mug that you can find in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sunrisemorningshow.com. Hello, I'm Father Timothy Shear. And these are Biblical Impressions. Paul is well known for his many journeys. We might imagine the Apostle to the Gentiles as an itinerant missionary, but that would be only part of the picture. Paul's custom was to remain in a single place for extended periods of time, using that place as a kind of base of operations. He would dispatch trusted associates like Timothy and Titus to represent him in other places. On his second journey, for example, Paul used Corinth in this way, spending a year and a half there and writing at least one letter to the church in Thessalonica from Corinth. On his third journey, Paul used the great city of Ephesus in the same way, and from that city, he wrote to the Corinthians, to the people in Philippi, and possibly also the Christians in Colossae and Galatia. After his work in the eastern provinces of Rome, Paul planned to preach in the western provinces, notably Spain. And this time, his base of operations would be Rome itself. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Shear. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swain, and one of the highlights of my week is getting to talk to the man, the myth, the legend, Gary Machuda from Hands On Apologetics, who's written some of the, to me, both both most insightful and most fun explorations of apologetic stuff out there, including his latest book, The Gospel Truth, which is all about the reliability of the gospel accounts. Gary, good morning. Morning, Matt. So I want to talk about something that I've heard who knows how many times, people saying, well, who knows if you can trust the scriptures. These things were oral traditions before they were written, and who knows, somebody told somebody who told somebody. It's like a big old game of telephone. Like, if you've ever played the game of telephone in youth group, one person whispers to another, the other person whispers to another. At the end, it's a completely different sentence that the last person says than that the first person transmitted. So that's probably what we got with the Bible. What are some things that you have dug up that should make us— rethink the idea that the gospel narratives are more than just some big telephone game. Yeah, well, the first thing to realize is the telephone game is purposely designed to distort the message at the end. I mean, what fun would it be to play a game that, yep, that's pretty much what the original message was. You're like, oh, man, it didn't work this time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's it's designed to distort the message, and 
you know, earlier we talked about how Jesus uses this rabbi-disciple relationship to train the disciples, which is precisely designed to inculcate a message, you know, accurately and pass it on. So the two are actually diametrically opposed. So I, I give like six different points where the telephone game and Jesus's methodology just completely is incompatible with one another. Well, let's uh, for example, uh, get into just, some of those, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, for example, Jesus didn't whisper strings of trivial information to his apostles' ears, right? It wasn't done secretly. Jesus utilized this relationship to pass on information. He spoke publicly. He instructed his disciples openly. He utilized visual illustrations like locations, feasts, uh, liturgies to enable retention you know, it, it was basically almost like a classroom instruction for the disciples. So, uh, you know, it wasn't this thing that was whispered in the ear that w- was trivial or didn't make sense. All right. So there's also, um, well, I want to I want to key on this because this is something that actually manifested in my world this week. Uh, so in the telephone game, you mentioned members whisper a secret message to one individual at a time. Jesus teaches his apostles and disciples as a group. So when a couple of people from that group then go into another group, then you've got some accountability to make sure that the message comes out correctly. And the reason that I that I know this is the case is because I was in a car this week with a couple people I knew better than the other couple people I knew in the car, and we were going around with jokes. And there was this joke that a couple of us knew, but that a couple of people in the car didn't know yet. So... As happens in these social situations, someone gets designated to tell the joke because we all think it's so good. Well, guess what happens during the course of that? If someone starts to mess up the joke, the two or three people who know it start to jump in and be like, no, 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 no. You left out this part, right? Uh, We had like this accountability, and that's not even for something important. That's for just some dumb joke. So surely there would have been more accountability than a telephone game on these transmissions of the teachings of Jesus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's always tr- truth detectors out there. That's an awesome illustration. I wish I used it in the book. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. I mean, it, you know, that's true for a joke, and everybody's always correcting people because they mess up jokes. Uh, how much so, you know, the, the large band of disciples that was instructed by Jesus? I like this um, fifth one, too, by the way, because uh, you're talking okay. about the idea that when we read the Bible, we're reading uh, the whole teaching arc of Jesus in a handful of chapters in a gospel, but this is not how the disciples would have received it if they were at the instruction of a rabbi. They wouldn't have received it in a few days over the course of a couple of teachings, right? They would have been, like, really immersed in this rabbi-disciple relationship. Yeah, it wouldn't be just the message that's once whispered to you, right? We talked about how, you know, the word catechesis means to echo back. And that's actually the same thing, same method that the rabbis used. They, they didn't just give an instruction once, but they constantly repeated things over and over again. And again, that's totally unlike this uh, telephone game, like I said, where it's just mentioned once, and that's it. Okay, and then this final one I think is so cool because it really strikes at the heart of a lot of arguments for sola scriptura, which is that, you know, we who pick up the Bible should be able to understand what it means. But a rabbi would not have just had someone memorize the lines of his teaching, right? Because you even see in the scriptures, the apostles are actually, they're actively asking him, Rabbi, what do you mean by this? 
Right. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like it's probably more akin to a law school, you know, where uh, the, the instructor would pose legal cases or legal questions. And, and the, the disciples or, or the students in law school, I should say, uh, would ask the instructor, instructor about how certain laws would be applied. And so it's not just informational, but it's formational. Jesus was training them to do that. And like you said, you know, it's peppered throughout the Gospels. You have this dispositional aspect to their training, where there's questions and answers and, and illustrations and so on and so forth. It is fascinating to me. Um, and, but it also kind of like takes us back to this idea of why we should trust the early Church, uh, mm-hmm. and the accounts of those first people that the disciples were then going on and telling these stories to, because they would have had to try and do this same thing now that they are the teachers, <laughs> right? That they would have uh, yeah. said, okay, not not only here's what Jesus said, but here's how to interpret it. Here's what it means. Here's what we are supposed to do. Here's how we're supposed to worship. Like, all those things would have been built into the message the apostles themselves then passed on to folks like, I don't know, Ignatius of Antioch and Polycarp, and, you know, down the road to Irenaeus and a bunch of these others. And a lot of those were, you know, contemporaries with the apostles. So if their their instruction was wrong, you know, kind of like what you said in the backseat telling a joke that, um, you know, if it's wrong, people would pipe up. The apostles would say, hey, you know, you're not really teaching this correctly. This is how it's taught. And it's not like, you know, once Jesus ascends to heaven, uh, they go through some sort of mental shredder where their post-past memories are, you know, shredded, and uh, they come up with something completely different. There's like a whole body of people who have been trained and instructed by Jesus and are in, in turn training instructing other groups. And, yeah, so that becomes the basis in my book for how you can determine all sorts of things about the Gospels, not only whether they're true or whether they report things that actually happen. But, you know, things like, is our text reliable? How do we know what it means? You know, how do you interpret a text? Things like that. Yeah, it is very, very valuable and very helpful, because in the era era of, you know, sort of armchair theologians and armchair atheists and all this other stuff on the internet, people will be like, well, obviously, it was just like some big telephone game. But if you look into it, that's not that obvious. It's not obviously like some youth group game. It's obviously significantly deeper than that. Uh, but you cover this. You cover actually a whole bunch of really fascinating arguments in your book, The Gospel Truth, which is all about um, why we can trust the teachings and know the teachings of Jesus. Uh, it's all through hands-on apologetics, which is a fantastic resource for anybody who's trying to go deeper on these arguments. If our listeners want to connect with you, Gary Machuda, get some of your books and hear some of the other things you've been working on, how do they do so? Yeah, just go to handsonapologetics.com or stpaulcenter.com or Catholic Answers. Very good. All linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thanks, Gary Machuda. Have a wonderful day. Thanks. You too, man. All right, 14 till. We're back right after this. Are you longing to hear God's voice? 
Lord, Teach Me to Pray, the free Ignatian prayer series will open your heart to His voice, to the peace you're seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy by knowing Jesus personally. Lord, Teach Me to Pray is free. Just go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red box and order the Lord, Teach Me to Pray series. Again, that's lordteachmetopray.com. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. We know a lot of you love anything pumpkin-flavored, and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee. That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available, along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. EWTN's Religious Catalog has terrific suggestions for Christmas gifts. His Angels at Our Side by Father John Horgan unveils the surprising role of the angels in our lives and what you must do to gain their help. His Angels at Our Side book and DVD set is one of many great Christmas gifts from EWTN Religious Catalog. For more, visit EWTNRC.com today. Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Join us later today on Catholic Answers Live as we do our best to explain and defend the Catholic faith. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to Sunrise Morning Show. 12 till, here's Anna with headlines. A manhunt is currently underway in Maine for a mass shooter who is considered armed and dangerous. Somewhere between 15 to 22 people are believed to have been killed. There's a new Speaker of the House today, Louisiana Republican Mike Johnson, taking the gavel yesterday after garnering enough votes to win the speakership. And during his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis made another appeal for peace in the Holy Land, in Ukraine, and around the world. You can hear news at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Courtney Brown, Executive Director of the Rural Woods Institute, online at ruralwoodsinstitute.org. And we've been getting some mini lessons with Courtney on their K-12 through Theology of the Body curriculum called Revealed. We're looking at first grade today. Good morning, Courtney. Good morning, Anna. How are you? I am doing great and excited to talk to you about this. So when it comes to the first graders, you start off the curriculum with a, a bit of a refresher on what they learned in kindergarten about creation. Can you talk about how you do that? Sure. So the first grade, the, the lessons kind of flow with reintroducing them to creation as a gift, re, re, kind of rehashing the story again, the six days of creation, but just reiterating that God is good, that creation is good, and that you're good, and that your body is good. And from that 
realization, also talking to them, we move into this kind of discussion of like choices. Because in original solitude, one of the things that GP2 kind of highlights is Adam's recognition of self-determination and how our characters develop the choices we make. So we lead them through an activity outside of seeing the good of creation, the six days of creation, but then into, you know, making activity of choosing what's good, what's not good, and how our choices matter. And then that kind of flows into our conversation of, from there, um, vocation and God's continued purpose and what he's asked for us and what he's asking us to do. And what's unique is when we reflect on creation being good, the other thing about us as a human human beings, God has created for himself, but then also that we're unrepeatable. There'll never be another you. And that is a, a real thing for kids to kind of contemplate that only you can fulfill the purpose God has for you. No one else can do it. And wow. it's just, that's the one he has specific to you. So we move into this conversation of vocation with this, and we use this story to teach, not just vocations, but this idea of creation as gift. We use a story called Animal Hedge. Yeah, um, yeah. This is so interesting to me. Using this story as a bridge from from this idea of creation, as you were just saying, and moving into the idea of vocation. So, so tell us the story of Animal Hedge. So, the story of Animal Hedge takes place on a farm, and this farmer who absolutely loves farming and his animals, uh, tends to him, takes care of them. And it, it kind of highlights some of the activities that he does for the farm, like sharpening his uh, tools and how much time and effort and particular love he has for just those small details. You know, you know that when you love to do something, you love the, even the, the, media, the things that seem remedial or tedious, right? You'll even love doing that. Um, however, what happens on the farm is an extreme drought comes, and so he loses the farm. But as um, and his whole desire was for his three sons to take the farm one day, and that they would all have their own farms within the farm. But because of the drought, it got rid of the farm. He had to sell his animals, and he was never able to recruit. But when a this uh, rainfall came, there was a hedge outside of his house, and then he, his desire to still the love that he had for the animals. He saw that the hedge kind of reminded him of animals. So hmm. what he did was he went out and he cut the hedge to, to resemble animals, and he spent time in cultivating that. And then he eventually took that desire and uh, used his sons, brought his sons, and gave them each a hedge to particularly focus on and take care for and learn how to find their desires, ultimately what they desire through the time they spent just cutting and cultivating these hedges. And each of the boys figured out what they ended up wanting to do and moved forward. So the story kind of highlights this idea of how God puts in us these desires towards things that are good. And that the Lord, the, the journey is, is, is what I would call is very simple, right? Like with vocations is, uh, I remember a friend of mine used to say, we think of it as detective work. Yeah. It's like, we're going to figure out all these things. When the reality is it's not that at all. It's a slow, it's a slow process of a journey of just coming to the father and growing closer to his heart and as you move along this time and doing his will on a daily basis, you, you kind of walk into understanding what vocation God has in store for you. Yeah. In a lot of ways, it feel, it's like the perfect gentleman, right? He kind of walks with you, talks to you, but it's in the stillness, in that slow wind that we come to these recognitions. It's, I know we like the drama stories. We hear yeah. the stories. It is a drama for us personally, but, you know, 
the father's a calm dad just waiting for you to come to figure it out. And then yeah. he kind of has that approach, you know. You know, so I love that because I, I think this is so important, Courtney, because we can kind of fall into um, extremes when when we're thinking about God's plan for us because there, there's this idea that, you know, my vocation in life is just self-generated. I get to choose, and you you kind of ignore that idea of it being a gift that God has placed in our hearts, uh, these desires for it. And so you, you think that it's all you. Or you can get to the other extreme, I think, of falling into this, like you were saying, detective work. I was thinking of it as like, destiny mode right like yeah. like i have no choice in the matter it's just a matter of of discovering my destiny and if i choose wrongly then i'm going to disappoint god or you know i'm going to i'm going to be completely unhappy or whatever you know but these yeah, two extremes right. we can fall into them so easily and neither yeah. of them is quite right it isn't it's not it's a uh... We can take it to, you know, your kid's going off to college, right? They, they have mm-hmm. this mindset, I have to figure it all out yeah. right now. And th- that's not even the process of life and the journey. Because even just my own life, I'm thinking the number of jobs I've had and moving from youth minister to religion teacher to principal to executive director. You know, there's been a whole scope of how God has led me to move in directions to, you know, bring forth his kingdom. And the same thing with marriage is when you get married, the day you get married isn't the end of your vocation. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the beginning in a lot of yeah. ways. But it's also the thing about our prep for that life vocation, what we decide to do in that spousal relationships that we have at those moments. Um, it is. It's a constant journey. This life is a constant journey. And that's why we have them have an activity where they actually interview an adult and they discuss it into the class. So... What, what we're doing here is we're allowing the kids to find out how to walk, too. So asking adults who have walked their, their walk, we're talking first graders here, but as they get older and you're kind of counseling, you know, my favorite thing to do a lot of times is just ask questions to, my, to the teens and say things like, what, do you, what is good? What do you think the Lord's asking of you? And when you take them to prayer, that's the, that's the question that even as a little kid you can say, we're reading the scripture today. What's the Lord asking of you today? Yeah. That's, the, that's the question of discernment for today. And, and that's how we walk along this path and come to grow closer to Christ. Yep. We've been talking to Courtney Brown, Executive Director of the Rua Woods Institute, which you can find linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Getting a mini lesson in first grade TOB curriculum from their Revealed program. Courtney, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. All right, that'll do it for this national edition of the Sunrise Morning Show. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.